Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm excited to bring on a host that we've had on before, and she was great. We have Professor Ellen Hazelcorn, who's Policy Advisor to the Higher Education Authority and Director of Higher Education Policy Research Unit, Dublin Institute of Technology. And today we're going to be talking about her book, uh, who she's the co-editor of, The Civic University the policy, and the leadership challenges. Just one note before we start the interview. We had a couple of difficulties in the recording and the audio process, but I think I have edited everything out and it should be good. But uh, if there's any awkward jump cuts or anything, uh, you could blame it on that. So without further ado, let's get started. Professor Isaacorn, thank you for joining us today. If you could just give us a little bit of intro about yourself and uh, how you got into education and writing about uh, this subject. Well, I've been in education a long time. I started off probably as most people did at the bottom, um, teaching, and um, was teaching for a long time. Then I became vice president, and I did that for a while. But I've been involved more, well, more recently over the past 15 years or so in um, policy work, either while I was doing my job or, or increasingly after working more and more at a global level. So now I work as a policy advisor to the Higher Education Authority. That's the government agency here in Ireland with responsibility for higher education. My own research unit then is this higher education policy um, research unit. And um, then more recently, I'm associated with University College London in London with um, a Center for Global Higher Education. That's probably the largest publicly funded center for the study of higher education, I think, internationally. Um, so we're doing a big project there on governance. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I'm involved with a lot of things. I work with most international organizations. I work in the U.S. I'm going to be doing teaching a course for Boston College in the summer. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Boston College has, a, I know, a, a great international uh, comparative education program for sure. If we could, though, let's uh, jump into the book, and uh, maybe if you could describe uh, the Civic University. What, what is that? Uh, what are sort of the, the different definitions of the way that uh, different countries or different regions might uh, define that? Sure. The, um, maybe if I put it in, in a broader context about, this, about the whole engagement debate and the discussion about um, civic engagement as it's usually um, referred to in the U.S., Um, In the European context, there's been also a much more wider debate about the role of higher education as part of a regional driver, as a a social, economic, and cultural driver, um, not just in cities and towns, but as as part of the regions. And um, what I mean by regions are not just not only sub-regions of nations, but also ones that are transnational. So if you look across Europe, you see 
um, regional areas cutting across Germany, Netherlands, and parts of Belgium, or you see areas looking at um, Spain and across um, into France. And um, so we're looking at regions more broadly in that sense. And that's been part of a big European um, initiative over the past number of years. So I work closely with my colleague, um, John Goddard, who's uh, one of the co-editors, so to speak, on this book. He's an economic geographer. I come out, come at these issues from a higher education perspective. And together we've been um, working initially doing some reviews of higher education in the regions, part of the OECD, that's the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. We ran a series of, um, there were about 30 different reviews, probably more actually. I did three of them in Australia, Poland, and in Spain. And um, there's a large initiative going on with different governments and different policy levels. I've written the policy development in Ireland. So it's a really big issue about what is the role of higher education society. And at the same time, I think you can look at some of the issues that have come out of the recent election. So mm. I'm aware, for example, just I mean, looking at Inside Higher Ed today, there's a big piece of a... Um, about a meeting that the AAC knew had about the need for higher education to reconnect. If you look at that vote and the UK Brexit vote, if you look at the US presidential vote, you see this huge gap between elites and everyone else in society. That's kind of the issues that higher education stands for. Um, multiculturalism, international collaboration, free of ideas, particular social values, these kinds of issues that are representing really a look at the electoral map. It's really um, quite a divide, what I call mind the gap. So it's in this kind of wider context that this book really sits. Mm, fantastic. Well, that, you know, I think this is an important time for all of this discussion and, you know, what education means or what, what the university means. Uh, of course, here in the United States, we've seen uh, sort of somewhat of an attack on, I think, the, the university's research, education, uh, especially the recent Trump administration and some of the potential defunding that, that might be going on. So I think this is a, a great discussion. Absolutely. I look at that and, you know, these are really worrying times. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. So if we could go into a little bit more into the book and maybe the structure, can we talk about sort of how, how it was broken up and how it designed and you sort of give us these different uh, structures of what, what a university can be. Can you kind of talk about that? Sure. And maybe if I just step back for a minute, there's a lot of um, literature out there on, on engagement. Carnegie classification has an engagement um, profiling. Um, in fact, when, when I went to write my own chapters, I realized I'd been collecting a whole lot of material for quite a while. There's also each of these views about engagement are actually quite different. And so I do talk about the, we each wrote different chapters and then I'll explain how the book is structured in a minute. But um, I came to look at it. There are broadly what I would say three uh, broad models of engagement. One, what I call it comes out of the social justice tradition and really mm. focuses around students' curriculum talks about community-based research, volunteering, 
It usually the responsibility lies with the student or access office, maybe teaching and learning, maybe continuing education. It's that kind of side. There's another whole side of the engagement approach, which really looks at what I call the economic development model. It's all about the commercialization of research. Now, the social justice model in some cases is actually quite close to, to what happened to the approach taken in the U.S., and then you have this economic development model, which tends to be fairly strong in the in the European case. You see it in Australia, and it um, focuses around, as I said, commercialization, intellectual property, new businesses, relationship between higher education and business. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're really talking about is something that goes beyond all this and looks at what we call the public good model of civic engagement, one that is much more holistic, that's embedded in the institution across, where teaching and, um, teaching and research are connected through engagement um, in a way in which you've got a much more, as I say, holistic approach embedded in the institution as opposed to piecemeal, dependent on individual ins- individuals who come and go but that there's a sense of purpose. Diversity plays a key role across both the social justice and economic model, but it plays a key role as an anchor institution in its community. And that's what we also mean by sense of place. That it belongs and is embedded in the community and where it lives, where it's hosted. Sure. Because many universities basically just spend their time in a place, including the academics and the students, and it's merely just a resting pad. It's not really somewhere where they're committed to. One of the things the the book talks about is sort of the stereotypical uh, ivory tower uh, university that you know doesn't really have any connection to the local community. Uh, isn't maybe providing uh, a local good, potentially too focused on sort of uh, the international scene. And and maybe we should be more thinking of how all of these things can sort of uh, be melded together, local, national, uh, international. Well, some of it is, yes, certainly. I mean, it's a a question of, um, of the university, which is embedded in its community, that works and, and effectively leverages the strengths of its community for in a global environment. So this is where we've run into this difficulty and we see increasingly it's coming where institutions are either local and regional or they're seen as global. Both of them are seen as contrary to each other. You can't be in good if you're local and regional. You can only be global People should only focus on their research. They shouldn't focus on their teaching. And these kinds of issues, when we go and we look at the situation that we're now in, where universities are often seen as part of the elite, um, disassociated from the communities in which they live in, um, it's a real problem. So one way to, to explain that is to say, I think it was Ira Harkavy in Pennsylvania who um, or Philadelphia, who made the statement, well, you've got these universities which are islands of, of, of benefit in seas of, of, of difficulty, or put it a different way, 
where you've got the university voting one way, certainly your public um, and grant universities in the U.S. This is a, a piece in the Chronicle the other day about Kansas. Your land grants voting one way in states that have voted completely the opposite. Um, what's happening? Why is this happening? Why do universities not see it as some of their responsibility to bridge these gaps? Because if they don't, they're hugely dependent on the public who pays the taxes that feed them. One, one thing that stuck out to me was talking about sort of new universities or, or recent, recently created institutions, uh, maybe relative to sort of the what you might think of sort of the ivory tower, ivy league type of institutions, but these new institutions are more attuned to what's going on in the local and, and maybe better connected. And um, can you maybe talk about, you know, why or, or sort of what, what they might be doing? Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's a really important point. And the real question is, is how does that go beyond, how does that benefit? What is the role of the university in in the spillover effect that goes beyond just the university. So, for mm. example, take internationalization, where universities are hugely concerned about international engagement and collaboration and sending their students out and vice versa, people coming in. It's the kind of soul of, of, the, of the university, intellectual exchange. The difficulty is, is, does it have any benefit to anyone else other than the individuals who are doing it. And how do we make that more beneficial? How do you bring the benefits of internationalization back home in a way that other parts of the state um, feel something? And this is a really difficulty because your universities, certainly your large research universities, those that are most prosperous, um, tend to be the ones that are doing well and yet, then we see a whole lot of policies. The UK is a really good ex- good example of where we see the um, what are often called your second tier universities, your newer universities in poorer areas. These are the ones that are actually being stripped of resources, and so increasing regional inequality. So there is a geographic dimension to all this that we are also um, very um, keen to point to. Right, right. So if we could in the book, you know, you you talk a little bit about these institutions. You know, you look the ones that you specifically looked at, I think, were in uh, Europe in, in a couple of cities. In the U.S., you know, it seems like a lot of our institutions are in uh, sort of with the land-grant institutions there in uh outside of the major cities um, and sort of maybe that affects the connection that they might have. Um, can you kind of talk about uh, the universities that you specifically looked at and then um, sort of what, you know, what were the difficulties or what were some of the other characteristics that, uh, that were going on there? Um, unusual. Have one of the larger city and one um, in a, one in the major city and one in a city outside that. So it's Amsterdam, um, and, Gr- and Groningen, which is northern Netherlands. It's Tampere and, and um, Helsinki in Finland. London and Newcastle and in, and in Ireland, they were both in Dublin. It was Trinity um, College and my own institution, um, an institute of technology. But um, the point was really is to get a sense as to what is going on inside the university and how are institutions trying to deal with these sorts of issues. And at one level, 
it's quite interesting that even the newer institutions have difficulties. So this is not an easy issue, which is why many institutions tend to go down this, either what we call this social justice or economic development. They kind of separate it out. You have this literature called um, about third mission and which puts engagement as something that you do extra. And what mm-hmm. we're trying to say is we need to take this agenda seriously unless otherwise we're going to see an ever widening gap opening up between higher education and its publics. Right, right. So how about different uh, public policies or institutional policies that you think could be sort of either carried over or that these institutions are uh, doing better than others or in terms of sort of uh, this idea of a, of a civic university? Well, I think we're looking at um, universities making um, having a common um, calls with their city and regional uh, governments, so with civil society, a critical society. So in many of these areas, if you take um, the Helsinki example or if you take even the Tampa example, outside, which is outside of Helsinki, take some of the, um, the example in Groningen. So where we've got... Examples of where the cities, where sorry, where the universities are partnering with their city governments. And it's not just the university and the city government, Newcastle is in the same thing, but it's also bringing in groups of civil society and organizations and coming up with a common vision for the city and region, a shared vision. We've also got uh, partnerships between the universities and the other higher education institutions, often what are called, you know, the non-university, could be the vocationals, the further education, the community colleges, all working together. Constant of collaboration between universities and other types of, of groups being um, employer groups or businesses or research institutes. So a much more embedded sense and leveraging from that example, um, your research opportunities for students, um, one university, which isn't exampled in this book, but I work with closely, um, is in Southern Catalonia, um, where the university is spending a lot of time working, um, very, very closely with its, with its community, uh, with a quite a large region. Um, plus it faces the challenge of a lot of reasons do that unless it develops a counterweight to Barcelona, students go and then they leave. People just come and then they leave. So if communities are going to be sustainable, we need to develop much more coherent policies and higher education is at the center of this. Great. So, kind of coming closer to the end and, and I'm kind of curious who who's this sort of the ideal audience or do you, who do you hope picks up this book and sort of takes heart to some of these things that that you're suggesting to policymakers and teachers uh, other educators what do you think well I would hope that this the book that is taken up we have fashioned this book to look at the management challenges none of the universities are um, and the case studies have got it solved this is not a simple issue about solving a problem and then we've got it and we can move on. This is a constant dynamic. Um, there's no single blueprint. People do things in different ways. There are different contexts and different forces um, 
operating. Um, but all these countries, in fact, by just pure, by by the nature of where we are politically at this point in time, uh, are challenged by. Um, a growing um, disconnect between higher education and urbanized elites, the rest of society. Finland, which we have always looked at as one of the, the more progressive social democratic societies in Europe, has has serious problems and they're, they're now dealing with serious economic cutbacks. The Netherlands mm-hmm. is coming up for an election very, very shortly and they and there will be, it's a really one of these very um, difficult elections where the far right is quite, is very strong. And obviously we've seen the results elsewhere. Um, so these are, um, this is a book that we hope everyone will pick up. It's for higher education administrators, policy makers. I've spoken to governments, departments about the importance of this. And um, really, at the importance of um, ensuring that higher education is something that is embedded in their communities, in or because we need to ensure that um, you know there are public responsibilities that cannot be ignored. Great. Well, we certainly hope our audience uh, will will have a look at it. Uh, just you know, kind of wrapping up. You didn't give any final words uh, or any any final comment on the book, and then our last question, sort of on New Books Network, you know, what What do you got next? What can we look forward to uh, seeing from you? Um, okay, so just to say, at the end of the book, there's an appendix, which is um, which was to some extent a methodology, but we've got it set out in a way in which people can use that in their in their university and work their way through it as, a, as part of an internal self-reflective project at a senior level or indeed in some of the units in the university. So that's part of it. Um, what am I working on next? I'm working on some issues about global governance of changing nature of how higher education and global scale has looked at issues around globalization. And, um, I'm also looking at issues of, um, of quality. Great. Well, we look forward to reading that, uh, certainly, and maybe hopefully have you back on the show for a, for a third time. Thanks very much, Ryan. Take care. All right. Dr. Ellen Hazelcorn, thank you for joining us today. And I want everyone to go check out her book, The Civic University, The Policy and Leadership Challenges. And to everyone who joined us listening, I hope you learned something.